Hello, I'm Clay Wallace, and I'd like to invite you on a tour of my hometown. Welcome to Any Old Place, a podcast of the Capital City Museum where we explore unique places in Frankfort, Kentucky from the past and through the present. I'm recording this on a Sunday morning. In the sanctuary of the towering white brick church on West Main Street, choir director Gary Johnson plays a prelude on the organ. The sanctuary gives an impression of warmth, with stained glass rosettes and hanging lamps illuminating the creamy white walls and glossy wooden pews. The altar is dressed with a standing Celtic cross, an open Bible, a candle, and the vessels for communion, a glazed pottery set consisting of a jug, goblet, and plate. The first few pews are full, but that's all I can see, because I'm not sitting in the church. I'm sitting at my kitchen table with a live stream playing on my laptop. Good morning. Welcome to everybody who is in the house, to everyone who is in their house, and everyone who is in someone else's house because their power is out. Uh, there's still a lot of that going around, so uh, if, if anybody needs help, the, we've got a group of uh, youth who are, are always willing to help with yard clearing and, and similar projects, so let me know, let Molly know, and, and we'll uh, get the youth over to help you out. <clears throat> For uh, worship today, as you can see, we've got our communion table set to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So those of you worshiping in your house or someone else's house, you have time to gather some bread and a cup if you haven't done so already. Churches are buildings, but churches are also groups of people, communities which gather together to worship and share their lives. The story of First Presbyterian is a two-parter. In this episode, we're exploring the lived experiences of three people who call First Presbyterian their home. These are stories about the life of the church, the people who make it up. I never attended First Presbyterian, but I was raised in her sister church, South Frankfort Presbyterian, just across the river. My earliest memories of First Pres were ones of special days, Christmas celebrations, chili dinners, and children's events where the two would gather. I remember a Palm Sunday celebration where both congregations walked from their churches to meet on the singing bridge. When I grew older, I participated in joint ministries the two high school age youth groups shared. We traveled together with my mom, the Christian education coordinator at SFPC at the time, driving to summer retreats in Montreat, North Carolina. We did scavenger hunts and gift exchanges and overnight lock-ins where we climbed the bell tower. But for me, the coolest thing at First Pres was their puppet ministry. As a kid, the shows enchanted me. My sisters and I would sit on the floor of the fellowship hall and look up at the black draped stage where the older kids would perform skits and musicals with felt puppets that seemed to have dropped straight out of Sesame Street. The summer before I entered middle school, I was finally allowed to join the performers under the direction of Linda Hill, who ran the program. Under her guidance, the shows came together several times a year. Eventually, my sisters joined as well, and the three of us would come to church with our long-sleeved black puppet crew shirts, proud members of the first Puppeteerians. I remember the shows, which I loved doing, but with even more clarity, I remember the rehearsals and practice days. Puppet shows are more strenuous than they may seem. We would practice by putting our arms up in puppet mode with the elbows slightly bent and the hand tilted downward while we moved our hands like mouths to form the words of Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
there was a lot a puppeteerian had to keep in mind. You make the puppet speak by moving the thumb while keeping your four fingers locked in place because you want the puppet's jaw to move, not for the top of its skull to flip up and down. You also have to remember where your audience is seated, down on the floor below the stage. So you needed to plan eye level accordingly and tilt your wrist forward. Backstage, the puppeteerians were often kneeling on foam blocks, which was extra fun when operating a two-person puppet, where one puppeteer controlled the mouth while the other controlled two hands or gloves. Mrs. Hill handled all the moving parts, the puppets, the sets, and the middle and high school students, with grace and fluidity. I always looked up to her, and to the way the shows seemed to magically come together. Mrs. Hill is one of the people who benefits from First Press's digital services. The live stream started during COVID, and their continuation enables Mrs. Hill, who has limited mobility, to participate in the life of the church in an accessible way. I spoke with her at her home, while her two dogs, Bentley and Tinkerbell, sat close by. She says she's been attending First Presbyterian for 20 years. I asked her how she came to be involved in the puppet ministry. I stepped into it actually. Uh, our current minister at the time was Jenna Hall, and <clears throat> there was a a Bible school program one summer, and apparently it came with a puppet, and so uh, I think she tried doing puppetry and everything, and so she kind of roped me into a few episodes, uh, but it was wasn't recorded, so it was very hard on your throat to make. Uh, different uh, voices for different puppets. And so the kids loved it. It was a big hit. They all wanted to come to Bible school, see the puppets. And then uh, a couple of years later down the road, she wanted me to take over and do everything, uh, take over the puppet program, and I did. And I decided to uh, have recordings because a lot of kids don't read very well and it, kind of embarrasses them, they don't want to do it. So I said, okay, look, we've got these recordings, all you gotta do is remember the words, memorize the words or whatever, and make your puppet talk, make it speak. And so that helped a lot, and I was able to get more kids involved. And uh, so then you came along too, you were one of my best puppeteers. <laughs> and I just took over the program. Uh, I still kind of, hanging on to it. Uh, this day and time, a lot of kids, we did it all, we did practice and programs on Sunday, but now kids have uh, ball practice and other things going on on Sundays. So that kind of hurt our youth group and the puppet program and everything. What made you stick with the puppet program for so many years? What did you find was fulfilling about it that was a takeaway that you were happy to, to facilitate? The kids. I like kids. It was fun. I like to watch them grow. And, you know, it broke my heart a lot of times when they left. Uh, I had, I think I had a youth group for a little bit before the puppet program came along. And, you know, when they leave, it just breaks your heart. What are some of the memorable shows that you can kind of pull up in your mind and... and... Cowboy Christmas. Everybody loved Cowboy Christmas. You have to have a lot of um, puppeteers for that. Uh, another one is Look Into Your Heart. That's an old one. You had to have... It's about your, your heart, what you have in your heart, love. I'm trying to think of another one. Then we had some short ones. 
uh, of course, you know the the favorite every year is the uh, the Halloween Mr. Quimper. I forgot what the name of that is. <laughs> I couldn't remember the name of it either, but it was one we performed every year. My sisters and I actually came back from college to help with a few showings of it, despite having aged out of the troupe. In it, there's a repeated gag where the characters are costumed as biblical figures for a church's fall festival that's supposed to be somewhat reminiscent of Halloween. Multiple characters wear terry cloth sweatbands and introduce themselves as David the Tennis Pro. The punchline being that he served on Saul's court. And that, that's a beloved one. And since there's hardly any puppeteers now and not very many kids are interested anymore, I kind of wanted to find a videographer to get the old group like you and the others together and record some of these. I'm sure it wouldn't take you long to remember a lot of the, the, you, the script. So I still have the costumes and the backdrops and everything. So that's, that was my dream right now is to have it video, videograph so we can show it, you know, Harvest Festival on film. I actually, Madison and Ray, it, it might have just been Madison. Either Madison and I or Madison, Rachel and I were in the car and we were talking about it. And we, the three of us together, were able to remember every word of that of that song at the end. Yes. Um, it just doesn't leave your head. No, it doesn't. It was, that was a fun one. It really was. And can you, what was the audience like? Because I know that I didn't attend First Presbyterian, but before I was involved as a puppeteer, I attended the shows. What was mm -hmm. kind of the audience reach that you had? Oh, well, we tried to go outside the church several times. Uh, and we did. We did some shows outside the church. I think you might have gone with us to the Methodist Church. And I think we maybe performed uh, Somebody Followed the Wrong Star. That's a Christmas thing, that one. Uh, I don't remember, but uh, we went to, uh, it's kind of hard to pack up all the equipment, but we did go to uh, the nursing home. We went to uh, Ashwood Place. What do you feel like the kids took away from it? Both the kids who you're performing for and the kids <clears throat> involved in the puppeteering. Their confidence was increased. They felt confident about themselves. It, you know, they accomplished something. It, that was fun watching that. Though I don't think I can do this. I kind of browbeat them a lot of times. Although we're going to practice when we do this right. And uh, they did it. And they were proud of themselves, and I was proud of them, too. For how many years did you do the puppet program? I do not remember. <laughs> I asked Sherry at church as she could remember. And we're thinking it was like near 2000. I don't know. Does that sound right to you? Do you remember when you started? I remember watching the shows while I was still watching like Sesame Street. So right. I remember like I would have been probably <clears throat> under the age of seven and mm -hmm. I was seven in like 2002. So it definitely would have started before 2002. Okay. And then I became involved, I think in fifth grade, maybe? I don't yes. remember. You were one of the early ones because I wouldn't take anybody unless they were in fifth grade. Can you describe also that, I mean, I want to give an image to the people listening of what the puppet shows were like. Like, these were real felt puppets. Yes. They were um, very much like the Sesame Street puppets. Uh, we started out, I didn't have any puppets, and so I got a pattern, I made some puppets myself. 
And so the church members decided, oh, we're going to give her some money. Thank goodness. So I was able to buy equipment, sound equipment, and and uh, some real puppets so they would get some some real working puppets. So I got, I still have them at, at the church. Tell me about the sets. Oh, the sets. Oh, those were kind of fun because I that was my that was my deal. <laughs> um, you know, get some uh, construction foam board and carve it out, paint it. You got it. <laughs> that was fun. I asked Mrs. Hill what she appreciated about the church beyond the puppeteerians. My probably first love was is the choir, being part of the choir. Um, I love all my choir members, and uh, we had a lot of fun, even though we worked pretty hard sometimes. And uh, you know, just like the puppeteers, we went to Millville and places and, and sang for people. Um, choir... It's probably the best part of church to me. Uh, I don't get to go now because of my mobility issues, and that really it's heartbreaking because we had a camaraderie and took care of each other and just had a good time. It was like having fun <laughs> going to church. <clears throat> do, you get to, do you benefit at all from the live streams that First Presbyterian does? Yes. Yes, I do. How is it for you at being able to engage with those resources? Uh, it kind of saves me because uh, I can't go because, like I said, my mobility issues. And you know, during COVID, I mean, what else can you do anyway? But uh, listening to the live stream uh, messages, you know, kept I felt connected, and I still feel connected. And a lot of times when uh, the uh, live stream doesn't come up and doesn't work, I will go to uh, another church live stream and listen like uh, our former pastor, uh, Sandy Lacey. She's in Florida and so I'll watch that in substitution. <laughs> Mrs. Hill's impact on me was huge. The puppet ministry did give me confidence, but more importantly, it was the first thing that really gave me a feeling of ownership and responsibility over a role. Mrs. Hill introduced me to a world where my work and participation mattered, where I had a real stake in what I was bringing forth, and felt real joy in the execution. First Presbyterian was the place where I developed a sense of agency, and the joint trips to Montreat helped expand that further. I mentioned earlier the retreats SFPC and First Pres would take to Montreat, a Christian college in the mountains near Asheville. Though my mom, Amber Bibb, was the main teen wrangler, other adults came down to chaperone. One of them, Jane Smith, would join me on my walks between the home we rented for the week and the chapel. While the others would walk on the paved road or the paths alongside the creek, Jane and I spent our time in the creek. I asked Jane to speak with me in the museum's podcast studio. Not only is she a lifelong resident of Frankfurt, but she's the eighth generation in her family to be part of the congregation which became First Presbyterian. When we had our 200th anniversary in 2015, <clears throat> we were able to go out to the Lee Farm off US-127 and see the site of <clears throat> the Upper Benson Church that First Presbyterian grew out of. Was the Upper Benson Church affiliated with the Presbyterian Church, or did that affiliation happen after they moved? In it was Presbyterian. 
Yeah. The from what I understand from history, the Scots Presbyterians came over from Scotland and then filtered down into Kentucky and formed churches. And so what when you were young and attending the church, uh, what other family members were attending church with you? All of my aunts and uncles that were alive at that time. Uh, there were 10 in my grandmother and grandfather's. They had 10 children. And at some time or another, they all attended First Presbyterian. And then as they grew older and had families of their own or moved off. But for the most part, let's see, there was Uncle Lapsley, Uncle P.D., Aunt Sarah, Aunt Jane, um, and all of their children. Jane's earliest memories in the church were ones of attending Sunday school, and she's currently a Sunday school teacher. She's able to trace this ministry to the late 18th century. The first uh, Sunday school was started by um, Margareta Brown in the gardens of Liberty Hall. And there is a bench over there now that commemorates, it was given by First Presbyterian, uh, that commemorates the beginning of the um, of the Sunday school. And so um, whenever um, I can, I take my Sunday school class over to see that bench, and we have our little Sunday school lesson and stuff. So our biggest, I think our biggest community thing is still being affiliated with Liberty Hall. What ages of Sunday school do you teach? <laughs> uh, ages three through eight. <laughs> We have, um, like everywhere, a shortage of teachers, so I have a—and I don't have as big a class as I would love to have, but—and you have to kind of really stretch your lesson to cover the little ones and the older ones. What about that do you enjoy, and what service do you feel like that fills for you and for the children? Well, I think they need to know all the stories of the Bible, and— there are activities that we do, you know, coloring pages, things like that. And I always um, read from the Bible. And, of course, this is children's Bible, so it's geared to them. And um, I just, I, I love it. <laughs> How long have you been doing that? Let's see. My son is 43. So probably 40 years. <laughs> And how have you, how have, uh, have you seen people in the Sunday school grow up within the church? And I guess, has there been a situation where you've taught someone Sunday school and then maybe their kids are there? Or have you seen any sort of continuing legacy from that? Yes, yes. Uh, of course, it's, as all in everywhere, it's mostly the grandparents that are bringing the children. But, um, and some of the parents are still involved, too, but yes. And your your son is a Presbyterian minister. Yes. So I guess I'm wondering if you feel that First Presbyterian had some influence on Rick becoming a seminarian or becoming a, a, a pastor at his own church. How do you feel about the legacy of raising someone within the church and then they go on to 
continue the Presbyterian tradition in another in another church and what that's like for you as a parent and as a teacher? Well, I'm very proud of him. And a lot of that influence, besides um, <clears throat> attending church and Sunday school every Sunday, was Montreat that you mentioned. And uh, when he was 15 years old, it was the first time he attended Montreat. And he came back home from that uh, experience saying, I want to be a Presbyterian minister. So now he is in Milford, Delaware. <laughs> and can you explain what Montreat is and the different times that you've gone down with the youth to Montreat? Montreat is a unique experience. It is um, fun. It is educational. The small groups, to me, which I attended with with the kids that we went, took, were like, it was like Bible school every day. It was just like vacation Bible school. It was just a lot of fun. And then the seriousness of the worship services and the just these, I don't know, um, thousands of kids in this huge auditorium and this mountain setting. And it's just amazing. Have there been any major changes to the church building over the years? Um, Way back when, probably in the, well, in the 60s is when the education building was added on. And um, I think in the 40s possibly was when the uh, S. French Hogue uh, Chapel was added. And... um, Prior to that, prior to the education building being built, I remember a home being on that space. And um, then I don't remember the total changing of the sanctuary, but um, it's pretty much as it was in 1815. The entrance was changed. It used to be uh, steps on both sides that would go up to the center door. I mean, steps in the front. It's now on both sides. But it was steps just going up the front and into the front door. Tell me about the bell tower. Have you ever, have you ever rung the bell? I've rung the bell, but I've not been all the way up uh, into where you see the actual bell. Rick has. And, um, oh, I know when they were kids that they were all over every aspect, the basement, every part of the church. But the bell tower, um, you have to kind of turn sideways and then kind of lay back. And, it's about like kissing the Blarney Stone, I think. And then climb the ladder all the way up to the bell. And the bell is hand-rung. It's not automated, right? No, it's hand-rung, yeah. Mostly on Christmas Eve. Oh, and during COVID, they rang the bell every Sunday. Well, Jeff and Amber did, yeah. Jeff and Amber is Jeff Bibb, my stepdad, and my mom. I remember seeing pictures of Jeff in the bell-ringing cubby during the early COVID days when Kentucky churches, at the suggestion of the governor, would light up green and ring bells to honor victims of the pandemic and offer a feeling of togetherness to those dealing with isolation. I asked Jane to talk more about the ways she feels connected with First Presbyterian. Mainly the, the long membership I have, the long association I have with it, and um how family the the members are 
um, we've just, and that's been through the years. The um, uh, we've had people leave. We've had uh, uh, we have a, a new newish um, congregation of Cameroonians, and getting to know them is uh, a good thing in our church and we're just we're welcome to everyone and and it's just it's just it's friendly it's it's great it's just good (laughs) you've brought two books with you can you tell me about the books that you brought okay the oldest one it's a history of first presbyterian church frankfort kentucky and it was written by w h averill a lifelong member of the church, and he had, I believe it was his son, who also became a member of the church and then went on to become a preacher. And then the second one was written by Willard Rouse Gilson. These books were written in 1901 and 1965, respectively. It gives the history. Uh, there's some of the members listed in the back of each one of them. Um, they're very, very interesting books. Have you? So you've read through both of the books? Yeah. Was there anything in them that surprised you about the history of the church or that you thought was interesting? Or, um, Well, do you want me to tell you a story about the preacher that was run out of town on the rail? Please. <laughs> okay. It was um, sort of the, during the Civil War, and he had very strong... Southern uh, sympathies, and um, voiced them, I think, from the pulpit. From what I've, from what I've been told, it's not in the book exactly. But um, <clears throat> so some members of the session uh, decided they didn't want him any longer, and uh, literally took him down to the depot and put him on a train. And sent him away. <laughs> so they ran him out, tra- ran him out of town on a rail, <laughs> which is an old, old saying. The Civil War drove a wedge between churches, and the two Presbyterian congregations in Frankfurt found themselves on opposing sides. First Presbyterian was aligned with the Union, while South Frankfurt Presbyterian was aligned with the Confederacy. Over the following century, that division faded, and the two churches are now united under the PCUSA banner. I asked Jane about the relationship between the two churches. Well, I remember that it used to be we had combined um, probably in the late 50s, early 60s. We had combined um, youth group meetings. Youth fellowship is what they called it back then. And they would come over mostly to our church for um, a meal and then um, Bible study. And I was just... Uh, probably 10 or 11 then, but I remember them coming over. And um, <clears throat> then um, we have joint um, oh, Ash Wednesday services, and um, uh, we have a pastor, um, oh, well, they exchange pulpits sometime, and... Um, uh, then our uh, our youth do still meet up, like you said at Montreat. They don't always share a house anymore, but they do meet up. <clears throat> and I think <clears throat> it seems like they have maybe a meeting together once a month. I'm not positive on that. I'm not involved with that age youth anymore. So, so 
Do you are there any other interesting stories from the past that you would that you think would be fun to break out from the book or from your own memory? Um, no, but when the um, it, oh, we used to have um, these huge um, doors that separated. They were sliding doors, and they separated the Sunday school rooms in the social hall. And then when the education building was being built, we met in a member's home, which was where the um, um, Herod Brothers Funeral Home parking lot is now. And it was called the Graham House. And the minister at the time, Reverend Lachlan, lived in that home and had um, Sunday school in one Sunday school group was in the living room, and we were in the den, um, and I was about 12, 12 or 13 then, and we met in that big, beautiful home. But, um, no, I don't have any other funny story. When did the house, uh, when, when did that shared parking lot replace the house? Probably, um, probably 1965 or 66. They raised it. What do you feel that First Presbyterian is uniquely able to offer you? When you leave the church, when you when you go out, what about First Presbyterian stays with you? Um, of course, mostly the, the sermon message, but we have great music, too. Um, and I'm not sure how old our organ is, but our organ is, is fairly old. And so the music is, is great. And just the... Just like I say, the the family, the the people that are also friendly and welcoming and loving. Jane's right. It's the people that make the church the church. Earlier, she mentioned the Cameroonian families that had been welcomed into the congregation. I spoke with Nathaniel Bebe, one of the first Cameroonians to make First Presbyterian his home. I'll let him introduce himself. My name is Nathaniel Bebe. I am originally from Cameroon in uh, West Africa. Some people put it Central Africa, some put it West Africa, but uh, f- uh, it is on the Atlantic coast of West Africa. We are neighbors to Nigeria, uh, Sierra Leone, that line there. And um, I've been here since 1996. Uh, I work for the state government and I retired now. And um, I'm living and raising a family here, you know, so... Congratulations on retirement. Thank you. Um, can you tell me, is when you moved from Cameroon, was Frankfurt the first place you came to? Yes. I came directly to Frankfurt because um, I've, I had a brother here who is working with the Kentucky State University. So I came directly to Frankfurt. I, my port of entry was uh, D.C. And... Um, after that, when I landed, my friend picked me up. The next day, I boarded uh, these transport vehicles. What? These buses? Greyhound. Greyhound, sorry. Yeah. Greyhound took me to Kentucky, <laughs> brought me to Kentucky, and uh, I was picked up by my brother, and uh, I went to his house. Yeah. So was First Presbyterian the first church that you went to when you started, when you came to Kentucky, or were there other places that you had gone? Well, um, there's a church by the CCU there. I don't know. Is that Baptist? 
Yeah. Well, it, it's either Baptist or maybe it's American Methodist. Methodist. Yeah. So. AME. AME, yeah. I went to AME with my brother because he was, um, he took me to the church, you know. I, I didn't have any car and so forth. So I went to the church there for a couple of times and um, I sat back to myself. I said, well, I should look for a, a Presbyterian church here because originally my family is Presbyterian. My grandparents are Presbyterian. I said, I should look for one here. So I started my search. I asked Mr. Bebe what his initial experience of First Presbyterian was like. Well, when I got here um, and then I was led to that church by a friend of mine who was a student. I was a student then too. He Originally, he's from, he was from Kenya. And I told him that, well, do you have a Presbyterian church here in this community? I said, yes, I'll take you to one. And uh, he said, but it's a white church. He said, full be white people. I said, well, I don't, I don't care. Um, I think I, I told him that that's what I like even because uh, that would make me to know more about the society and all those other things and see behind the screen, you know, what is there, why, if it's not mixed, why it's not mixed and all those other things, you know. So he took me there and I worshipped the first day there and I was welcomed by everybody, the minister and so forth. Linda, Hill, even Linda, uh, there's another Linda there, you know, who used to work with CCU. Yeah, so all of them embraced me and uh, I joined uh, in every way to the point that uh, I was led to the deacon and I was uh, selected to be one of the deacons uh, after that, years back, selected to be an elder. I took part in the different committees. I was chair for some committees and so forth. I was chair for the deacons one time two times or so, and then uh, was an elder, was chair there and all those other things. So they were very welcoming, and um, I felt at home, you know. Can you tell me what it means to be a deacon or an elder within the Presbyterian Church? Well, uh, to be a deacon or an elder is to serve, you know, to serve the community of the church and the members of the church and to... Um, propagate God's work, you know. Uh, uh, that's that's what uh, an elder is called to do. And uh, you, you take uh, decisions, you make decisions based on the activities, how you look at things and all those other things, you know, uh, within that community. Yeah. It's a, resp- it's a big responsibility because uh, you are not only answerable, answerable to the people, you are answerable to God himself because... You're serving him, you chose to serve him, you know. And uh, you could serve him in different capacities within the church. Are there ways that the church services the broader community of Frankfurt that stand out to you as, as important or notable in any way? Oh, yeah. Um, they have a lot of programs, you know, even uh, this, uh, uh, I don't know how they call them, hurricanes. disasters which which happen all around in the U.S. My church has been part of it. They go out to help financially and even manually to do work and all those other things. That's one. Even within Frankfurt itself, it has 
also carried out a lot of projects with kids and uh, seeing the welfare of people and uh, some people who I need come to church and uh, they help them and all those other things, you know. Um, can you tell me about, so there's a substantial amount of people who are from Cameroon that yeah. are in the church. Yeah. About how, are, are they people who you have a direct relationship with or are they people who were drawn to it for the same reason as you because there is, there was a Presbyterian church that they might've called home in Cameroon and yeah. then they came here to find one? Well, um, some, in some cases they are related to me. And in some cases, they are not. They are uh, indirectly related to me too because they come from Cameroon and uh, we live in the same community. They found, we found ourselves in this community and uh, they prefer coming to church here um, because uh, they are welcomed, because the sermon uh, is direct, it affects them. And uh, I mean, and the people are welcoming, you know. You cannot distinguish between being a black person from Africa, coming to a white community and joining them, I mean, there is no description. There is no. Uh, uh, you can't. You can't notice that. You see, we interact very well and all those other things. And some of them are my in-laws, and some of them are students who came to study. And then after studying, when they get better jobs out of the place, they go. You know. But this is the springboard. It has always been where they started, you know? Yeah. And did you say that you were a student when you first came? Yeah, when I came here, um, I got a job, first of all, with the corrections. I worked for corrections at Lagrange, at yeah. Lutaluket. I was a correctional officer. And then I registered to do my graduate program at Kentucky State. Yeah, I did a public administration, so... So I was doing those things simultaneously. That's cool. Yeah. Mr. Bebe worked in corrections for a year, a position he saw as a stepping stone to other roles in state government. After graduating from K-State, he started working for the Department of Community-Based Services. Later, he worked for the Office of the Inspector General, where he worked in licensing and disability. He's now retired from state government, and I asked him if he found he had time to spend with his family. Yeah, I spend a lot of time, and then, I mean, here you can't retire, you can't say you retired, <laughs> because you have to do some small, small jobs, you know? Everyone I talk to who's retired tells me about, like, five different things that yeah. they've got their hands in. Yeah, yeah, you you should do something. You can't stay. I, I was staying at home and not doing anything. I said, man, I can die fast, you know? <laughs> I said, I should go back and do something, you know? And then I got a job with the Census Bureau in Jeffersonville. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a security analyst, security assistant. We're doing rap sheets and all those other things and hiring people, you know. So I worked, it was for one year and that was, that assignment was over. But I'm still waiting, looking at this. I can still go back there to, uh, yeah, if they give me another job, then I'll do it. So tell me a little bit about your family. So are you a father, a grandfather? Are you? Yes, I, I, have, I have a family here, um, my wife here. And, um, yeah, I have grandkids too, you know. My two girls, one of them is married in Louisville. Uh, the other one is in Texas, you know. They, they were part of the church here. They grew up here. The other one is a nurse. So, uh, and they were very active in church, you know. Some of them were in the choir. Two of them were in the choir. And uh, they did uh, 
activities like like other children, you know. Um, then my son came here when he was two years, and he grew up in the church here. Um, he goes to NKU now. And then my daughter, who was born here too, even during uh, December when we were doing a presentation for, for a play or so, he was the baby Jesus, you know. Joy, he, she is, she's doing her last year now in Wilmington College. Yeah, but she was baby Jesus. She, she was born in 2002, yeah. That's cute. September, yeah. So, so yeah. That's my, good timing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my family has been very active here. Even my aunt's family, you see, when my aunt came here and the husband, all of them joined the church, you know, through me because I, they know that they are all Presbyterian and uh, we got there. And it's a big family, you see. They have grand, we have grandchildren here now. He too has grandchildren. And uh, I mean, we are part of the community. And others who are coming who had known us in Cameroon, who settled in this society, even, even in Lexington, they prefer to come to church here. Wow. Yeah, they come to first. That's a long commute to come to church. Oh, yeah, 30 minutes. It was, I mean, but it's good to be where you have a peace of mind and... Uh, you know, you interact with people very well and all those other things. And you're sure of yourself. You show the environment and all those other things, you know? Yeah. So, Are there any other interesting stories or anecdotes that you have about being a member at First Presbyterian over the years? Well, um, they like my children like the church because I go to other churches. They invite me there. I say, let's go here. They say, are you going to downtown to first? No, we're going to just say, no, I, I don't want to go <laughs> I want to go to first, you know. So, I mean, they, 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 they very much like it. That's where they were born. And uh, those who came, that's where they were introduced as, as members of the church, baptized there, confirmed, and all those other things, you know. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's good. It's a good community for us, and uh, the people know us. And, you know, there have been a lot of deaths. People pass, you know, and uh, I know a lot of people who I met here who are no longer there. You see, but uh, we have been, uh, I mean, I've been part of it and, um, and I love it. Yeah. For over 200 years, First Presbyterian has been a place where people like Linda Hill, Jane Upchurch, and Nathaniel Bebe can gather and worship and share their lives with each other in community. In our next episode, we'll speak with William Bowker and Reverend J.T. Silence as we explore both how First Presbyterian came to be and where it's headed. I offer my thanks to my guests, Linda Hill, Jane Upchurch, and Nathaniel Bebe. Thank you to the Capital City Museum for providing constant support, to the City of Frankfurt for making this production possible, and to you, listener, for sharing your time here with me. Any Old Place acknowledges the long history of life in the land we now know as Frankfort, Kentucky, which has been home to Cherokee, Osage, Yuchi, and Shawnee peoples. Any Old Place is a production of the Capital City Museum in Frankfort, Kentucky. To learn more about the Capital City Museum, visit CapitalCityMuseum.com or come visit us Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. This program has been recorded, edited, and produced by me, Clay Wallace. I offer it to you, listener, with the belief that story grounds you in both space and time, and with the hope that it inspires you to befriend the world around you. You can find something worth tending in any old place. <laughs>